the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How should we as Christians think about issues of sexuality? And then, what is the problem with the phrase, living my truth? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a a beautiful Friday summer day here in the Chicagoland. Uh, Steve, this is your fourth day with us. So I do want to start by thanking you. Thanks for filling in for Aubrey this week. Much appreciated. Absolutely, man. It's always a lot of fun. It is for sure. It is for sure. Steve is a teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago as we like to say, stones throw from the United Center. So if you're down in that area, we'd encourage you to check them out. You can find Renewal Church of Chicago on all the social medias. And what is it? Renewalchurch.com. Did I get that right? Yep. Uh, Renewalchurch.com and also on YouTube. Go check out Steve and, and uh, you know, give him his, his feedback on whatever message you watch. Write it in the comments <laughs> what you thought about it. <laughs> uh, Steve, as pastors, but just in general, as parents, it feels like within the last six months, issues of sexuality and transgenderism and everything, while having having already been on the front burner, is just like picking up steam. You don't have kids in school, but it's the conversation around schools, in churches, uh, at and as I'm about to show you, at the White House. And one of the issues is this, what should our kids be allowed to learn, but also kids who might be uh, questioning their own sexuality at a very young age, what should they be allowed to do uh, either with parental permission or without? And with that in mind, uh, Joe Biden had a Pride Month celebration on the South Lawn of the White House the other day, Uh, and he said this, and this got many people um, completely uncomfortable. He said, it's wrong that extreme officials are pushing hateful bills targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors. These are our kids. These are our neighbors. It's cruel and it's callous. Uh, they're not somebody else's kids. They're all of our kids. And that sounds very inclusive and very nice, but what he was talking about was, should kids be able to have life-altering, basically physical, body-altering surgeries. And uh, there's a lot of myself included going, gosh, kids are not ready to make that call at all. And so uh, I eventually want to get to how do you see the church's role in this conversation in general? But just the idea of kids being allowed to do things in our body. I always say things to Aubrey like this. I've said to her... Our culture doesn't allow kids to be kids anymore. Like we don't allow children to be children, but we put adult decisions on them. Just about that particular topic. Where does your mind go? What do you think? I mean, 
yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad about it. Um, I I think that you know, even kind of like the idea that we create our own purpose for ourselves, and you you yeah. you put pressure on people um, to make perfect decisions. That if they don't make the perfect decision, and they realize they're unsatisfied on the other side of that perfect de- mm. that non perfect decision that they've ruined their lives. And I, I mean that even like holistically in terms of like uh, you create your own purpose for your life. Now I don't expect people to think the way that Christians think around these things, but I also think that uh, you can't expect, like I wouldn't say make a life changing decision about anything before you're 18 years old. And, right. and we would we would actually uh, we would actually say that, um, you know, about other things, you know, but when it comes to uh, sexuality and gender, that's something that that we've opened uh, opened the door to. And I think that it's common, uh, like, sure, like I'm not expecting you to have my perspective on this, but I do think that it's for the church to advocate for children to be children. And yeah. make adult decisions when they're adults. Mm. It's, you know, it, in our culture, voting, cigarettes, tattoos, like the list of things we don't let kids do for good reason uh, is is long. But then to uh, to begin to let kids do things like puberty blockers and surgeries and other things. Everything, all the statistics are showing how terrible of an idea that is, but yet our president and others are using it as like a a talking point. And I think that disturbs me. But let me ask you the bigger question, because I haven't asked you this this week. What do you, if this, I, if this conversations in general, not just with kids, but in general around issues of sexuality and transgenderism and whatever else is going on right now. If it really is just picking up steam and that's, I, I think we all kind of see that. How do you view the church's role? What sh- should we be talking about this from the pulpit? Mm. What should we be saying? Uh, what is the role of the church right now, culturally and, you know, to Christians as this debate and these topics kind of just increase? Yeah, a, f- a few years ago, actually, a uh, pastor in New York City, John Tyson, did a series mm. on Jesus and homosexuality, Jesus and uh, I think he called it Controversial Jesus. And uh, he did a great, um, a great series uh, and great sermon on Jesus and transgenderism. Um, wow. And I, I, a couple I years ago already. Wow. Yeah, I would highly recommend uh, somebody, uh, if you're curious about what the church thinks about that, or even just for fodder for conversation, I would uh, definitely check uh, check that out. You know, I I just really feel strongly that the conversation is uh, a conversation that is for, um, a, you know, in, in terms of like people making decisions around these things, it's for adults. I think mm. I would feel comfortable saying that to uh to our church and that I, I think that that's, uh, there's wisdom there. Um, I, I think that, um, when it, when it comes to, um, the, the conversation itself, uh, we just, we need to be mindful of, of people who are like, I think gender, you we live in a broken world. We're sinners. I think 
gender euphoria or dysphoria could be a real thing, all of that, all of that kind of thing. But I think that what we're going to see in the next several years is that a lot of people who made the decision at 11 are going to make the decision to want to go back. Yep. And, yep. and the thing about it is my wife is a nurse and had to study some of this in school. The thing about it is, is like, once you change your body's like, uh, chemistry like that, there are certain things that are altered forever. Um, mm. And your body is continually without medication is continually trying to, to be, to go back to what you are biologically, but you've altered something about your body um, through the surgery and through the uh, medicines that you've taken. And so it's, you know, I think, we're, we're going to catch up in a, in a few years and realize medically this creates a lot of incredible challenges for people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well put. And it's for that reason, I think we as pastors probably I've never preached on it or this or that, but there's probably coming a day where we just need to be more forthcoming and more just as part of discipleship. And it's hard. I, I don't tend to like to do those things, but man, is it picking up steam when you read what the president said, when you read kind of some of the stuff going on in some of our schools, it is, it is uh, right there on our doorstep to be discussed. Steve has been with us before this week. He's hosted a bunch of shows with me, but he's been with us four of the days this week, including today. Uh, but Steve, part of the goal, let's just get to know you a little bit. Here's the question for you. And, you know, we got time. We could unpack this. How did you become a pastor? Tell us the story that led you to becoming a pastor. Yeah. Um, so I became a Christian in college. Uh, first okay. semester of college uh, was just having a lot of trouble um, thinking about the purpose of life and, and all of those different things, wrestling with uh, um, what I came to know later was sin um, and was introduced to Jesus through the impact movement, which is kind of an arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. Okay. And uh, was mentored and discipled by a guy who was on staff with crew, um, was uh, lived with him and his family. And um, when I finished playing baseball um, and, and kind of as I was playing baseball, uh, my teammates would be like, so when you get your church, um, you know, this, that, and I was like, no, I'm just a Christian. I just want to be a real Christian. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be a pastor. Um, and, um, and so I went to actually, as I finished junior college, I felt like maybe the best way for me to, uh, to know what I was supposed to do with my life would be to learn the Bible. So I actually transferred to a Bible college and studied the Bible for a couple of years. And probably in the process of that, that those two years at Bible college, I really, uh, sensed like, I think God is calling me to vocational ministry specifically. Um, you know, I, I had all the, whether it be like in community with other people, people would say, maybe you should think about that. And then uh, for other folks um, or other things were like, yeah, I, I, I prayed uh, and asked God if, if I know I had the desire to, to do it. Um, if I, if I should do it, if I'm called to do it. And I, I really felt like uh, he um, kind of impressed upon me that Ephesians 2.10 passage, the good works he had prepared before the foundations of the mm. world that we should walk in them and felt like this was specifically, uh, pastoral ministry was specifically um, that for me. 
And, um, but I didn't have a, I didn't, I don't have any family that are ministers. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have any background in that. I was actually raised nominally Catholic. So even the idea of, of, of being a regular pastor was a foreign concept to anybody in my family. And so a friend of mine, um, met Brian Loritz, who's a pastor in, um, speaking of the SBC, um, that we had been talking about, uh, past couple of days. He's a, a part of, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention through, um, the Summit Church in JD Greer in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. And, um, wasn't always, but in recent years has become part of, part of that. And, um, he had a pastoral residency program in, in Memphis. And so, um, I went down to Memphis for a couple of years and trained with them. Um, and I basically apprenticed with him and he helped me learn how to be a pastor. And so kind of in the process of that, I went to grad school again and realized I didn't want to read and write the rest of my life and, uh, <laughs> and came on staff, uh, at a church here in the city called Park Community Church, church and, yeah. uh, started teaching there, um, pretty regularly and, um, and just realized this was, man, being with people and teaching the Bible was uh, really a, a part of uh, my gifting and um, stuff I love to do. Yeah. Was there ever a point in the last, since you started, where you're like, I'm out? I can't, not, not being too personal, like, oh, I actually almost quit on this day. But like where you were like, maybe I don't like being a pastor. Maybe I'm not called to be a pastor. Maybe this is too much. Ever have those moments? That's the funny thing, man. I know, I don't think that it says anything about you if you've had those moments. I, I don't mm-hmm. like positive or negative. Um, on, on one end, I'm like, I don't know how to do anything else. I sold shoes before <laughs> I pastored. You know what I mean? I was a janitor before I pastored. Um, so like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. I don't have any other professional training kind of, kind of a thing. But That's then at the, same, at the same time, um, I had no issues of deconstruction. Um, I had no issues of, of, all right, when, you know, my mother had passed away, uh, three, four years ago and, um, it was still like, I just, I just have to grieve and get to the place of acceptance. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing. Um, even when I was in the middle of the grief, it was sort of like, how do I figure out what place in what I do? is something that I can do without flaring up my anxiety. Um, And so that's, that's just me though. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say are, I like interviewing you. What would you say are two or three of your favorite things about being a pastor? What do you like the most? You know, somebody told me one time that I cared way too much about preaching. Um, Mm. They said that pastoral ministry is 10% of pastoral ministry is preaching and there's like a whole 90 other percent. And I think that that person actually realized like, no, this is just a part of how God is wired, Steve. Um, it's yeah. not, it's not like something that he loves more than the other things because he wants to neglect the other things. It's just a part of his wiring. And so, um, I've always been really compelled by preaching. Um, I remember even when I wasn't a Christian, I'd watch Billy Graham on TV. Uh, really? Yeah. And Martin wow. Luther King Jr. And I just remember thinking that's the most impressive thing I've ever seen a person do. Um, and so I feel like God put it in my soul um, that way. And then the other thing I 
um, enjoy deeply about um, pastoral ministry is just being with people, um, mm. coming alongside people. Um, you know, I don't get a whole lot out of like the praise of it. Um, and I think that's more so like my psychology rather than like, like me as like, I feel really proud of myself, but I also sure. think like just being a Christian, you feel the benefit of, uh, it's better to give than to receive. Um, mm-hmm. and so you talk to a lot of people who like are in sales and different things and they're just like, you know, I do believe foundationally, like it's important to realize that your work is for the common good. Right. Mm-hmm. Speaking of our, no pun intended. Um, well, placed. So, so God can be honored in, in whatever sphere of influence that you have, as long as it's, you know, ethical. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me personally, um, I, I just really get a lot out of, being with people, helping people, um, coming alongside people, um, giving support. Yeah. I just get a lot out of it. Yeah. Kind of shepherding, kind of coming mm-hmm. alongside people. Um, all right. Last question about you and, and your pastoring. When you finally hang it up 40 years from now, right? Ooh. When you're finally uh, done pastoring and you look back, what do you hope people say about you as a pastor? Wow, Brian. You know, yeah, I'm one. six, so I don't know if I've like thought thought that. So I said before. forty years. Four, you have forty years. Yeah. Um, I think that I hope personally. My hope is that people see that I cared about raising up the next generation. Mm. Um. So I hope that people are able to look and say, like, he made disciples. Uh. I, I feel like that's like a, a big part of what I, what I want to do. Um, and then I, I think I really hope, I really hope that people say that he loved God mm. and not power and not a platform. Um, but he helped people find their satisfaction in God. And he found his satisfaction in God that like, I think those, those two would be like, uh, I, I can live with that. I, could li- I like how you put that. I, I can die I with like- that. I'll hang it up at that point and say, uh, we did. Okay. We did. Okay. Well, that's fun, man. I think people here in the heart behind how'd you get to where you are? Why do you do what you do? I think, uh, is always good. Steve, a lot of what we've talked about this week, uh, is at the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention meetings that have been going on down in New Orleans. Uh, maybe next week we'll talk to a Bob Smetana or a Kate Shelnut, but they're busy right now just reporting. And there's been a lot going on. One of the biggest things being the disfellowshipping of a few churches over the ordination of women and the headliner of that being Saddleback Church, Rick Warren. Uh, I, something I didn't know about the convention is that they regularly have people preaching. Like there's lots of preaching going on. And soon after the vote was announced about uh, the disfellowship of Saddleback and of Fern Creek, uh, there was a message given by a guy by the name of Todd uh, Unziker, U-N-Z-I-C-K-E-R. Uh, he is, uh, part of the North Carolina Baptists. So, um, yeah, he is part of them. 
And so I just want you to read, I want to read to you the executive director, I should say, of the North Carolina Baptist Association. Uh, Steve, let me read to you one line, and J.D. Greer retweeted this one. It apparently, this guy just brought it because, you know, there was probably some tension in the room, some uh, gravity in the room after what had just been announced and what they're trying to do. All right, Steve, here we go. This is the line I want you to hear. He said this. Are we going to be led by people who post more than they pray? I read that. I was like, dang, are we, he's speaking of the whole convention and he says, are we going to be driven? Are we going to be led by people who post on social media and whatever else or who pray, who primarily are prayers? I thought that one phrase got so much towards the trappings and the nature of uh, of leadership right now. It made me think of Tim Keller, who we've talked about multiple times this week and what drove Keller versus other people. Uh, what do you think about what he said there? Are we going to follow people who post or people who pray? I'm nervous to speak on it because I don't know the context of the rest of, uh, but if if I could isolate the, the statement itself um, from any particular uh, context, um, yeah, I, I think that it's it's weird to me how much uh, social media platform uh, cr- uh, is like wields pow- actual power um, in uh, in even like Christian circles and Christian spaces. So, mm. um, you know, there's and and honestly, that that would I'm kind of weird about people who do a lot of writing about church and don't pastor a church. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of and have a, an incredible following, uh, in that way. And, and so, um, yeah, that, that side of it, uh, worries me. I, I think that Rick Warren has done enough in the history of his ministry to, um, be considered more than a poster than a, yeah, I don't think he know. was talking about Rick Warren. I think he oh, was okay. just talking generally speaking. In fact, I think he was more speaking to the people in that room, quite frankly. Oh, okay. Well, um, and and I I do I do think that I do think that we need to be known by prayer. I do think that renewal is going to come only as uh, as people who seek God's face um, for things. Um, and then at the same time, I think that there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time praying, um, pray, you know, in 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 air quotes, um, who you know did didn't get it right. So. Yeah. Um, and, and not to say that God's spirit spoke to them wrong. Um, I, I believe that God's spirit speaks to them rightly, but um, I think sometimes we have other influences besides the Holy Spirit too that that influence the, the, our actions. Um, so I, yeah, once again, I'm the middleman saying prayer is so incredibly vital to the renewal of all things and what God is doing yeah. and asking God to be a part of it and and so much bigger than strategy and bigger than uh, the importance of uh, all the, the details of, of uh, the organizational structure and all of those different things. There's a lot of times that we lean on in evangelicalism and in, into strategy rather than prayer. And I think that that's offensive to God. Um, how do you, how do you decide um, 
who to follow, whether it be big people, like I'm going to read this person or listen to this person, or it's people locally. Like, how do you figure out, I want to be, a, I want to hear from that person. I want to kind of be influenced by that person, maybe, and not that person. I, I think humility is something that I, I listen for. Um, I like to hear smart people think. So people mm. who are smart and humble, I have a tendency probably to, or if you get that sense of, of humility. The other thing is like uh, ethos, like people who are willing to be vulnerable in some in some way that instead of like promoting uh, kind of a false sense of uh, machismo um, that I've got it all, all together, leaders who are willing to walk with a limp. Um, mm. I, I met John Mark Comer in Santa Monica um, last year and, okay. and he was so much what you would think he is based on the things that he writes. He was so kind and so uh, interested in my story um, that I just found him compelling. I felt like he, um, he spends time with God <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and um, and I think that people found Tim Keller that way to be um, such a, a powerful person who really was dependent on God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, those, those are probably the, you know, I, I really don't think we, I think that we got to be really careful about how we think about social media following and uh, sure. And stuff like, I mean, there's certain people who uh, not to name names, but they got a lot of books written. And they they got a, a you know, they, let's just say they spend more time focused on their books than they do the church. <laughs> or or somebody else writing the book for them. Right. Uh, for sure. For sure. I think it's a great word, man. Like, it's not brain surgery, but it can be really enticing. Like, look at how much that guy posts or that woman writes or whatever else. But who's really like in it, they're pastoring, they're praying, they're, they are who, they, like, I love that description. And then the old plank in the eye versus the, the speck in someone else's, am I worth following for people in my mm. little church, right? Yeah. Do they look at me going, you know, uh, he lives what he says, he prays, he whatever else. I That's where this gets, uh, gets uncomfortable uh, and difficult. Uh, as we've been saying, Steve is, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago down in the city. You can check him out at Renewal Church. It's .com, right? RenewalChurch.com? Renewal Church. Uh, yeah, RenewalChurch.com. RenewalChurch.com. You can check out Steve uh, and their church there. I'm at Four Corners Community Church here in Darien, Illinois. You can check us out at FCCC.church. Uh, and because of that, Steve and I probably think more than a lot of you out there about preaching and putting services together and music and all of this stuff. Let me start with this question, Steve, a general question about you. Are you a musician? Are you a music guy? Can you wow. sing? Can you play an instrument? I can do neither. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I always want the worship leader to help me uh, find the tune just so <laughs> I can be a part of the choir whenever they do decide to do that. But I'm not. Uh, I am the same way as you. I, uh, I I love to sing. I love to sing loudly. Uh, but if I sing loudly, it's loudly and badly <laughs> and poorly. Uh, you know, when people are like clap on the one and the three, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying right now. So that kind of stuff. 
But I would say, is it safe to say we've got, we love to sing in church and we see the value in it and probably have thoughts on it. And so with that in mind, and people who've listened to this show know I've, I've gone on this tangent, this soapbox before, uh, wondering what you think. Over at Relevant Magazine, just a couple days ago, uh, they wrote this, enough with me-centered worship music. And so they're talking about worship music in general, uh, but also in the church. So you talked about the other day going on a soapbox. I'm going to go on a soapbox for a second. Uh, I don't care about whether we sing new songs or hymns. And I know you guys, you, I'll let you share this in a second. You have to think through your songs a lot more because of, you know, you're very much a multi-ethnic church, people coming from different backgrounds. But myself, uh, it could be a hymn. It could be a new song. It can be fast. It can be slow. But I care greatly about what it says. Mm. And I have found myself increasing. Well, I've got these talks with our worship guy regularly, and he they're great talks. But I'm like, the more a song says I or me, the less interested I am in singing it. But the more that it points me to uh, to God, whether it be an old song like How Great Thou Art or a newer song like How Great Is Our God, right, Chris Tomlin, or whatever else it might be. I want to sing that song. Uh, and that's what they're getting at here. A lot of the newer songs on K-Love that then seep their way into the church are all about me, 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 me. And I think our theology, we sing our theology, and that starts to seep into what we believe. So uh, I think worship leaders out there, more than how does it sound or this or that, need to be thinking about what does it teach us about God and ourselves? Uh, and what are we singing theologically? Talk to me about how you view the songs we sing in church, and particularly in your church, because you guys have a different dynamic for sure. Yeah, I, I, we give our worship leader a lot of a lot of freedom, um, but I yep. think that he um, he values. Um, I feel like our relationship is close enough in such a way that like there's spiritual formation that he's received from us as pastors that then um kind of um it shows up in the songs that we sing yeah and how we sing how we sing those songs so um we've got an incredible band one of my uh, good friends at the church is a jazz musician jazz pianist and wow. so he plays the keys for us and we got uh some jazz uh bass player and great drummer um and so they, they you know they can do it all and um and and sometimes you know we'll have a guest come and and sing and and every now and then uh, we had a song that was sung uh, maybe a couple of months ago that was just like ah <laughs> that's that, the worst yeah, we yes. missed that one that one you know kind of a thing but um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more just um, just more um, more about God than about me. Um, mm. I think is is super helpful. Um, but I'm not even one of those guys who's like, you know, some people get tied up on that reckless love song. Um, and I, I'm kind of like, I mean, he leaves the 99 to come find the one. I realize mm. it's not literally reckless, but it's it's in the it's metaphorically reckless. It's right. You know, in right, whatever right. Art, artistic way of saying something if you can include art into um, 
I think it, it emphasizes something about God, about, about I agree. his love. And so like, I'm not that tight on, uh, on, uh, worship songs, but, um, but yeah, I get weird about the songs that it's just too much. Uh, it seems like a, maybe it's not a newer thing. Maybe old hymns, they've just weeded out the old, like the me, 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 or maybe from the nineties. I'm not remembering, but man, so many of the, K lovey new songs seem to be just about how I'm feeling, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, And God's like this bit player in this. And that's just not the point of worship. Uh, I mentioned in in passing, you guys are very like, it's in your DNA to be a multi-ethnic church. You want people of different backgrounds, different races, uh, just and all unified under the gospel. Uh, How does that affect how you do worship? By worship, I mean singing on Sunday morning. How does that affect it? Yeah, you know, for for a lot of, you know, there are some people who would come to our church and feel like, like our worship leader has like the full range of uh, uh, vocal, whatever your vocal range is. So um, he's really gifted in that, can sing um, any note on the scale. And... And so some people, um, especially who come from uh, more of a suburban white background, would feel like, man, this feels a little bit performative. Um, Mm, Interesting. And yet, like when we look at the Old Testament and the way that we sing worship to God, it's supposed to be done with excellence. um, um, And it's supposed to be done with skill. And so uh, I think I think that. You know, that's a like a cultural thing that we might um, that you might sense coming to hear uh, our worship. But then at the same time, we'll probably sing songs that you're familiar with. So we'll mm-hmm. sing Cody Carnes Run to the Father. We'll sing um, we'll sing in Christ alone. Uh, there's mm-hmm. just because we got a jazz pianist, you know, we got some Lowry's. I like to say some Lowry seasoning salt. and we threw it in the smoker instead of uh instead of in the in the oven and so it it just has a different flair to it and um it has a gospel chord maybe sometimes and um and maverick maverick city music you you i don't know if you listen to a whole lot of maverick city music so they're they're a newer uh group that um, I like a, a lot of what they what they do um i feel like a lot of what they do is um is in line with what we would see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, I guess if you're out there and you're, you're a worship man or woman, like you're picking songs for literally for a Sunday service. My encouragement to you is worry more about what it says than how it's, it's got to sound good. You got to be able to sing it. You got to be able to play it. You don't want to be cringy, but don't overlook what it says. The end of this article says God is worthy of better worship the church is capable of more, but to live up to that potential, we'll have to start by getting our focus right. I think that's a great word. I think that's a really good word from Relevant Magazine. And we are excited to be joined uh, for the second time by somebody, we're going to call him a friend of the show. His name is Anthony Russo. He's a pastor at Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we had Anthony on with a new card game he had uh started with some people hilarious we loved it and uh want to talk a little bit about comedy but before we do that anthony just tell us how you doing man how you doing today i'm doing so good yes it was a couple weeks ago we talked about the bible's funny card game and now it is out in the world 
Wow. And so it's been a fun couple of weeks seeing people play it and uh, share the, just pictures of them with their family. So thank you so much uh, for having yeah. me back on. I'm excited to be here. Well, if Aubrey had beaten me in that card game when we played it on the air, we might not have had you back. But uh, since I defeated her in that, then it was like, let's get Anthony back on. So, Anthony, the Bible is funny. Bible is funny card game. You've got, an, I believe, an Instagram account by the same mm -hmm. name. The Bible is funny. Let's just ask the question this way. There's a lot of people who don't think the Bible is funny, but more than that, don't think it's appropriate to talk of the Bible as funny. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Just comedy, humor, not taking ours, all of that. How do you answer that where people are like the Bible isn't meant to be funny? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, another part of my story and my life is that I have uh, done improv comedy for the last like nice. um, uh, 17, 18 years. And so uh, I travel with a group called Isaac Improv and we'll go to churches and um uh, you know, volunteer events, youth events, young adult group events, um, all kinds of events we've done. And so uh, we come and we do comedy in that context. And yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny juxtaposition. Some people don't think you should be laughing in church. Some people <laughs> think this is just all a very serious thing. Certainly starting the Bible is funny. Got a lot of people that were just not at ease with that concept. But for me, uh, I, I guess I'll talk about the Bible first. Um, yeah. If we don't acknowledge that some of these situations um, are funny or are at least have the potential to be funny if we discuss them uh, and really try to imagine them, then I think we take some of the humanity out of the Bible. Like there's mm. I think some people like to kind of just just spiritualize it, just just make it this sort of ethereal, spiritual um, book that you're not it, it's just about people from a long time ago and it's just it's just it's not it's not real people we and i don't think that's something that's not a jump we make like uh intentionally it's i think i think it's something we do unintentionally we forget yeah. that these are stories of shepherds what does that mm. mean to be a shepherd it means you're out like in the field uh like not just for the little stories we get all the time surrounded by sheep <laughs> passing the time doing one thing or another. I'm sure you're not slinging rocks at bears every moment of every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, and the, the, the commentaries that like, you probably smell a certain way if you're a shepherd, that's just a reality right. of, of like actually getting into that story. So I think when we don't embrace comedy, when we don't laugh in regards to our faith, um, then we're kind of like, we're, we're separating it out. We're, we're trying to like create this sort of like, well, no, this is my spiritual faith life. And then there are these other things because we all know we laugh. We all know stuff is funny. Yeah. And why wouldn't it be funny that, you know, these flawed human beings, especially the disciples, man, I am, I love the stories of the disciples interacting with Jesus. Cause it's just so yeah. here is God in the flesh. How is it not just the perfect setup for comedy that God in the flesh would yes. come down here and then hang out with fishermen for most of the day. Like that, if I told you that was the premise of a sitcom, you'd be like, yep. yeah, that would be funny. That would be a good, <laughs> they, I'm sure there's like places they wouldn't connect entirely. That's right. Um, so yeah, that, those are kind of some of my thoughts when That's I think good, about man. that. That's good. Anthony, just my mother was a huge fan of stand up comedy. Um, and so like I have, even as a preacher, right, you're 
there's certain elements to public speaking in general that you can kind of steal from uh, stand-up comedy or stand-up comedians steal from preachers. Um, but I, I'm just curious in terms of like certain things being taboo uh, in church and certain things being just a part of the comedic world. Like, how do you, how do you think through that? How do you navigate that for your own personal self? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think like um, to me, when you're crafting a joke, um, cause I, I kind of like grew up in comedy first, like my, my, my mm-hmm. comedy and church lives were always intertwined, but I was, I was comedically inclined and kind of pursuing that first. And so it became apparent to me very quickly that like, there is, um, there is some moral conversations to me that I had to have about being a comedian. Um, I, I've always done what people would call like clean comedy, uh, that's always been kind of my angle. And it's and it's honestly because I always thought some of these other like comedians that just go into some of these other areas, it's just not as funny to me. Like it's mm. more you're more relying on shock value. You're more relying on like because I'm not supposed to be talking about this. That's the only thing that's funny about this. The joke's mm. actually not there. And I and I, I've been really uh, happy to see clean comedy have like um and i don't even really particularly like that term because it sure. sounds like it's for children but it's not <laughs> it's just your it's just your looking into particular topics i look at jim gaffigan i look at nate bargazzi and mm-hmm. the work they're doing that is it's great it's so high quality it's very funny um you know kev on stage is somebody i follow on instagram like and it's not it's it, is it it's just comedy like it's just mm-hmm. comedy and it's choosing uh, to enter into that space with our moral and our ethical selves that we want to like do comedy in a certain way, right? We don't, we don't want to do jokes that make people feel uh, belittled or to bully people or to, to just kind of like take aim at people. Um, you're doing comedy in a way that is, um, is authentic to your morality and your ethics. So to me, that that's what comes up. But it's so important, like you brought up, Steve, like when you're preaching or when you're communicating at all, like comedy is something that opens doors. If we can yeah. laugh together, we can do we can have conversations like we can if we can all joke, if we can if we can collectively laugh. I mean, there's almost an unquantifiable like I don't know the science there, but something happens when we all laugh together. You yeah. feel it. Your shoulders drop. You're not as on edge. Like we, we just laughed where it's okay. Everything's okay. What we're talking about's okay. Like I'm not here to, uh, it, there's a trust that's built when we laugh together that I think is really pretty special. Yeah. So I grew up in the evangelical church subculture. Like I grew up in the church, grew up youth group, all the youth conferences, all this kind of stuff. And I think you did too. Do you have a favorite thing from gro- like your, your, your evangelical subculture that you love to poke at? Like you just think is funny that people like just grab like a wanna or something like that where they yeah. just gravitate to those jokes man I, my personal uh, answer there is uh, on our podcast the bible's funny podcast we started a segment called christian movies are funny and we've been <laughs> reviewing just like cringy christian movies from the 90s and the 2000s awesome. um that specifically we're in that we spend a lot of time in there and it just gets me it just is it's so like predictable the character that's an angel but not no one knows that they're an angel you know what i mean the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the local high school team winning in the end 
and that somehow the, the revival breaking out in the high school, like the, just the beats are so predictable. The person who's really antagonistic to faith in the beginning and by the end there, they pray or the, the, they pray the prayer of salvation. Right. right. Um, so I would say that I also am very um, keen on flannel graph boards. I love <laughs> a good flannel graph board. I don't know why the medium I've always loved it. You're just uh, putting awesome. these characters up and telling a story that way. I, I've been in search of one so that I could like do some things with it. Um, because I love flannel graphs. That would man. be awesome. And it's so funny you bring that up because just a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a flannel graph board in a sermon and there was a certain per person there that started laughing. And then there was this confusion in other people. Like <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? Man, we could talk all day again. Anthony Russo, uh, he's a pastor down in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, where can people follow you? Bible is funny. I sounds like on Instagram. Where else can they find you and follow you? Yeah, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, we have a podcast. All the Bible is funny. So like to keep it nice and easy. Uh, so if you like podcasts, love to have you uh, subscribe there, but you can follow along on Instagram and TikTok as well. Awesome. And the card game is wonderful too. So I'd encourage people to go pick that up as well. Anthony, it's fun, man. We'll have you on again. We like having people on who make us laugh. So we'll, we'll keep talking. Thanks for doing it. Thanks so much. See you guys. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com